This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to another Liverpool.com podcast. And I'm Morgan. I am joined this week by Liverpool.com writers Mark Wakefield and Joel Rabinovitz. Um, I'm back after a week off. Hope you're all well. Glad to hope you're well too. Um, we're going to take this opportunity of the painstaking international break uh, to do a little bit of stock taking with Liverpool this season so far. And um, rather than usually get into stuff like we usually get into, which is games and projections of games and analysts analytics of, of games and stuff like that, we're going to look at sort of how we view the, the season in general. Um, you'd be glad to know if you're watching or listening to this, there's no survey this week because it was off last week and then that's hard to do one. Um, but yeah, we're going to have a little look at sort of how we view Liverpool's season to date and some of the intricacies within that. So I think just first of all, Mark, I'll come to you, just the general sort of outlook that you have on, on the pool season so far and how you view it at this point of of the break in, in November? Um in a in a word, positive, I think. It's um in terms of the Champions League it's been pretty much perfect. Um not only well conceded with three wins out of three against two well, certainly two of the games the toughest on paper. So it's pretty pretty good in that sense. The league has been a bit of a weird one. Um, I mean, if you take the hammering against Villa out of there, it's been close to perfect as well. Um, you know, one near enough every single game, apart from you know Man City the other day, and then um, a draw as well early in the season. So, you know, it's been a good season, a good start. I think if you take out some of the VAR decisions that have gone Liverpool against them this season, you know, there probably will be a few points clear at the top of the table probably as well. And then you've got the injuries that have been against them as well. So. Given that everything that's been thrown up against Liverpool so far went through bad luck, you know, whatever word you want to use to describe it, it's been a pretty good start. But I, uh, in all things considered, is strange a, a good word to use, Joel, to sum up the season to date? That's exactly how I describe it. If I had to choose one word, um, <laughs> in so many different ways, I think it, our perception is always going to be shaped by kind of expectation and, and what we're used to, um, and we just come from a season. Last season, we won 26 for the first 27 league games um, and had the league pretty much sewn up by kind of early December time. Um, so kind of off that basis, it's all, it was always going to be pretty much impossible to repeat. Um, but then it's the fact that, I mean, last season, it was a finishing off. It was already three quarters of the way done before it went behind closed doors. But the fact you've gone into a new one with all that stranger around it. Then there's the VAR stuff, which seems to be every single game at the moment. That's four league games in a row has been absolutely massive sort of contest defining decisions really have gone against Liverpool and they managed to kind of ride them out uh, most of them but that's that's added to the kind of just the oddity of it all um, and Mark's right to reference the injuries it just it's almost felt like every single game uh, when things have been going a little bit well like the derby you see that <laughs> midfield set up of Henderson, Thiago and Fabinho and you think this is it this is the best midfield we've had since since Gerard Alonso and Mascherano it's like the perfect combination and then Thiago goes off injured with a couple of minutes left with a horrific challenge and then Fabinho does his hamstring and then you've got the Van Dyke thing, which has obviously cast a massive sort of cloud over this last period. So, yeah, I, I've struggled to kind of make sense of it all. I, I've kind of thought the opening day winning against Leeds was just about as unconvincing a win as you could, put it, could have had uh, the way it happened, the goals they conceded and the fact they needed a, a late penalty to win it. 
But then when they put back-to-back wins against Chelsea and Arsenal together as kind of consummate as they played in those games, you were kind of thinking business as usual. Uh, this is this is how we go from here. Um, and then the Villa thing happens, throws a massive spanner in the works. The derby was was obviously a sick another way it went. Um, and I think they have done really well in this sort of mini run since the last international break to kind of for the wheels not to completely come off because that could have happened, the psychological impact of losing Van Dijk and other players at the same time. Um, the way that they didn't win the derby in the end of that disallowed goal could have really knocked them. So they've done well to pull themselves through. And I think in hindsight, we'll come to look back on the draw against City as, as a decent one, um, given the circumstances, even though they probably shouldn't and could have done more in, in the first half to win it. Um, so they're, they're handily placed uh, in Europe and in the league to kind of achieve both objectives. Um, you just would like the injuries to clear up because for me, that's the biggest sort of unknown factor at the moment in terms of what they can achieve uh, going forward. I think you're both right to mention and touch on the, the things that have shaped the season so far, the most which are VAR and the injuries. I think though it's important, Joel, that we don't sort of... I think it's really important that we didn't regardless of the fact that there's no fans in stadiums and stuff like that, we didn't compare this season to last season mm. because it was such an anomaly. It was such a frantic pace that Liverpool set that it was a bit unfair to, to, to put that on any team competing in the Premier League, especially to, to make that comparison and, and make that sort of expectation to, to a Jürgen Klopp Liverpool team going into every season. Yeah, I mean, that, that became a norm for us last season because we just got to the point where you just felt every single match Liverpool were going to find a way to win. And that's that never has been normal in any <coughs> season in, in football history, in any league in Europe, really. Um, so I think we need to, it is a bit of an adjustment to get back into a mentality of drawing the occasional game or drawing two games in five or whatever, if it's a tough trip to Goodison or the Etihad isn't the worst thing in the world. I think we've all kind of come to accept already. I know it's only sort of eight games in, but the league almost certainly isn't going to be won on anything like the top, the points totals that it's been in recent seasons. It's it's probably going to be low 90s, if that, probably somewhere in the 80s, uh, which means teams are going to drop more points. Liverpool have already already drawn two and lost one, um, which they basically didn't do until they'd already won the league last season. So I think we do need to cut them a bit more slack in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's getting used to kind of the matches, the flow of matches not, kind of following any kind of reference point that we've had before. So the Villa game being a prime example of one where if there's fans in the stadium, it almost certainly pans out differently to that. I think you could make a case in all kinds of games recently. Um, so for us yeah. and for the players and the managers, that's that's been a kind of factor. I think you've almost got to treat this season as just in isolation as the strangest one we're ever going to watch. I think the way that I'd use Mark is um, impressive. Um, and, I'm, and I mean that from a standpoint of sort of how they've dealt with adversity um, in such a sense. And, and you know, we've, like I say, we've touched on injuries. You couldn't have got a bigger injury than one. Like, you know, we're recording this on a Wednesday and the Dutch squad have just released a video where they're all sort of rallying round and sending in their own messages of, of support. He's such, a, he's such a massive figure that to ever envisage a world at Liverpool without him was... Horrific for many supporters. It was unimaginable. The consequences of that. Saying that, Liverpool have have quietly dealt really, really well with it, and it does seem that you know they've been sensible in what they've done in terms of losing Van Dijk and, and adapting to to new centre backs. 
you know, we've obviously had games where Nat Phillips has played, Reese Williams has played, but I think the way in which they've been coached to draft the line a little bit to to defend more stoutly in terms of concentration and, and more resolutely, Alisson coming back was massive. Um, but the, I think they deserve huge credit on the whole, but especially Joe Gomez in particular, um, for how they've sort of revamped that defence once once Virgil, we knew Virgil's fate basically for the end of the season. Definitely. I mean, I think you're right to reference uh, Joe Gomez there. I mean, he has been, on the whole, been very, very impressive, um, certainly since Van Dijk has, uh, has gone. Um, he's taken up the mantle of the leader of that defence ever so well, which, and when you combine that with his relatively young age for a centre-back, he's only, what, 23, 24 years old. So that's very, very impressive as well. Um, but in terms of dealing with the loss of Van Dijk, I think it's been rather, I mean, the main point everyone made was who's going to replace him? Are they going to sign somebody? Who's going to step up and be counted and, you know, fill that role? And to be honest, it's probably been more of a team effort than one individual. You know, I think Klopp's referenced that before. It's like, it's not one replacement. You know, we've got 10 replacements out there that can do that or 10, 11 persons out there that can do it. So whether that's Robertson chipping in, like covering, you know, long balls over top or something like that, or Allison being a bit more vocal, like he has been, certainly when Reese Williams has played and been a lot more vocal of notice in recent games. So, yeah, I mean, you take Van Dijk out of the team, any team in Europe is going to struggle with that. And it's going to, it's been a significant mental test of this team to be able to deal with that loss, especially we combine that with, you know, the way he got injured, the fact there was no justice for what we thought should have been a red card on Pickford. You know, everyone made their feelings clear that it should have been. Um, so that would have obviously made him a bit more angry, and rightly so. So, yeah, the fact that they've been able to bounce back in such a convincing manner, you know, especially in the Champions League, they played all three Champions League games since Van Dijk's been injured and been pretty much convinced in all three of them. Um, and yeah, in the league, you know, Man City away, a draw. I think most teams in the league would take that. You know, and you take the, the draw at Goodison, they've win, won every other game. So, you know, it's been very, very impressive. But I think it's been more of a team's team performance, team just standing up and dealing with the situation as a team, which is what this team has been known for um, for the last couple of years. Just the mental strength, like mentality monsters. You know, Klopp said that, you know, in 18, 19, and it still stands strong now. So the, the first sort of question I want to ask you is on the season, apart from your general thoughts on it, um, are the player you're most pleased with. So you just referenced Joe Gomez there, Mark. Is there, is there a player, though, who stands out for you as a player who you are most pleased with in a Liverpool shirt this season? <laughs> um, I think most people who have listened to these podcasts or videos before I think know how much I'm a fan of Diogo Jota. Um, yeah, it's just... I think we've said it all before that he went under the radar a little bit when he signed because of the arrival of Thiago. Um, you know, Thiago's a world-class player. Many teams in the world would be grateful to have him. And then when you sign a player like Jota, who is not as big a household name as Thiago, that is rightly going to go under the radar. But he's proven that he is worthy of playing in a team as good as this. Um, you know, all the talk in the summer was Liverpool signing the forwards. You know, Werner was linked, um, Havertz very briefly. Then Ismail Saar was linked as well. Um, and to be honest, would you see either of those getting the team at the moment? Probably not. And then even with Jota, you know, would you have seen when he arrived getting into that team right away? Probably not. He probably would have been just a sensible backup on the bench. 
you know, the first sub, if you like. But he has shown just when he's come on that he can fit into the team, you know, seamlessly. Um, I mean, Atalanta, each, each of the three goals are just sublime, every single one of them. But it's not just his goals, it's just the way he's just fitted into the team as if he's been there for years. Um, and I think that is the biggest compliment you can play to any new signing. And especially one as tough as this is the Liverpool team to get into because it's probably one of the hardest teams in the world to get into. Um, certainly the first choice 11. I think that's probably testament to the way Wolves play as well. You know, they are a very high-pressing, high-energy team and that's a big compliment to them that one of their former players can come straight into our team so well. So, yeah, I mean, there's a few players that have pleased me now. Joe Game, is he right to say there? Robertson as well. You know, he's played pretty much every game. He seems to just run tirelessly and never stop. So, yeah, there's a few candidates there, but Jota will be my bet for me. Who would be yours, Joel? Um, I mean, Jota's the obvious one in terms of surpassing expectations. I think Salah's playing some of the best football of his career. Um, in terms of, of slightly more under-the-radar ones who've really impressed me, I think especially recently, um, since the Van Dijk in- injury, one uh, album stepped up massively. I think he's been quietly excellent for a few games now. Um especially against Atalanta. Um, did he start against Atalanta? That's embarrassing, if not. Yes. If not, yeah. yeah. Um, in the City game, though, what he and Henderson did there as a two-man midfield pairing against that team was was incredible. I thought if, if the attackers put away the chances or at least took advantage of the situations that they should have done, um, then Liverpool come away from that game of a win and that would have been largely down to what one Alden and Henderson were doing. Um, I think, to, especially to look back at the summer and I think, we've kind of almost reached a point there where people almost assumed that Wijnaldum was going to move on to Barcelona. There was a lot of talk that was quite intense at one point there. And I was very happy that he stayed on for this season. I think we're, we're seeing the value of that now. Um, I'd also give a word to Shakiri as well, who's who's massively come back into things, um, having kind of completely dropped off the radar last season. And the fact that he's Klopp's first sub in a game like that at one all against City away, I think speak volumes of the trust um, that the manager has in him and, the fact that he's been able to stay fit and and contribute when he's come on has, has been a real bonus. Yeah, I think I think they're both really good shouts. Um, I really like the Salah shout as well. Um, for me, I can never just not be impressed by the captain. I think the the, yeah. the clip of him against Atalanta where he's just marshalling and screaming people through games is the type of leadership that's going to get you through until now until May, in my opinion. I think he's he's consummated. You know, we, we had a discussion yesterday on a piece of writing about who should play right back in Trent's absence and I made the comment that I, my stock answer a lot of these now is, is fast becoming Henderson because he's a player who can seemingly give what Liverpool what they need in, in each different position. I'm not sure about him in the front three, but I think going backwards, you know, I think he's he's more than adept in, in sort of long range passing and and sort of dictating players we know for Liverpool but is you know is his leadership of this side now is there's such a, a vast gap there when it's when it's not present and yeah I'm I'm, I'm really pleased that that sort of the hunger still burns and, and burns through him the most. Um the opposite of that then Joel will come back to you is the player that you're most disappointed with. So only choose one by the way. Yeah uh I'm going to go Bobby. I think it has to be. Um, I don't like slating him because because of what he's done previously, but it's just 
yeah, it has been difficult to watch him at times this season. And there have been a couple of moments he gets the assist for Mane uh, against Chelsea and he scores an important goal um, as well. It was his only goal of the season so far. But yeah, in general, he's, it's not even just the, the goal return. Um, it's just that the, all the stuff that you expect from him, his link-up play, his chance creation, his pressing, everything seems to be a notch down or as it, as it has been kind of for much of a calendar year, really. He had that brilliant kind of start to the year in January when he got those goals against Spurs and Wolves away, huge goals and sort of seeing Liverpool kind of towards the finish line of a title race. And he had a brilliant game against Southampton at Anfield, I think, when he got three assists. So there have, have been moments this year. It's not like he's been awful for all of 2020, but I just think he's looked so far off off the level that you've come to expect from him. Mm. And, and whether that's just a kind of, long-term fatigue catching up the guy has played more football than anyone in that position um which is, is so physically demanding mentally demanding not just for liverpool but he's, he's played a lot of games for brazil as well hardly any breaks i do wonder if that's sort of catching up with him um so i'm not writing him off by any means i still think he'll have a really important role to play this season and i know about the games in in the weeks and months ahead where we'll come back and say how well he's played and how important he's been but i think so far um He's been the one who's kind of fallen fallen short for me in terms of the standards that you, you would usually assume. Mark, would you agree or would you go with somebody else? Um, yeah, I certainly uh, understand, you know, so much, not so much criticism of Firmino, but just like um, just worry worrying about him. But for me, I think Minamino is probably the one I've been disappointed with the most. Um, you know, this was meant to be the season where we saw him break into the team more, have more run of games. Um, you know, second half of last season when he first came in, you understood him not quite hitting the ground running straight away because you know he's playing in a team that's running away with the title, you know, and coming to a different country, language barriers, those sorts of things are all factors you've got to consider. Um, and by all accounts, in terms of the language situation, you know, he's learned his English really, really quickly over the summer, so he's done really well with that. But for one reason or another, he just hasn't been able to get into the team that often. Um, He's shown flashes of brilliance, you know, the community shield when he scored, um, link against Lincoln in the cup, he did well in that game too. But yeah, it just it just seems like he's not quite fitting in at this moment, whether that's because of, you know, I mean we mentioned him before, but Jota, you know, starting like a house on fire really, really well. Um, it's very hard to get into the team at the moment. Um, and another reason is obviously, you know, it's just not they're not using the system that fits in best, which for him, is in the number 10 just behind a lone striker. Um, Liverpool don't do that system that often, if at all. Um, so that's a main reason why. But, you know, great players find ways to adapt to situations, in particular when they move to a new club. Um, I'm not completely written them off by any stretch, but, you know, you'd like to think that over the course of this season, he would get a run of games together where, I'm not going to start saying justifying the price tag because by in relative respect it was quite cheap there what they got him for. But yeah, I mean you'd like to see more of him. Um whether he will, I still have faith in him, but yeah, it's not been the best start for him so far this year. I've got to say, um I'm staggered that he doesn't make the bench on Sunday if he's not injured. And I'm 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 saying if that's the case, if he's left out the eighteen um, and the first look gets made and it's Firmino off and Shaqiri on, then you wonder where he is with it. I've, I've had this opinion now for a few weeks that I'm, I am worried about him in Liverpool shirt. I think that we've seen enough 
four two three one this season and we've seen enough with him in it to know that there's there's still a problem for me. Um because I thought that putting him in the nine in a front three was something that he wasn't used to. I didn't like him with his back to goal. I didn't like him with no runners in front of him. But he's played in a system that offers that and I keep saying it and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, but his body shape looks all wrong um, whenever he's receiving the ball. So, yeah, I think he's got a lot of still in the Liverpool shirt and I share that disappointment, to be honest. I'm, I'm just like concerned about his... his um, yeah, his hopes for Liverpool. I think I think he's I think he's a superb player. I think he's shown us that, but we're yet to see it, which is you know a shame up to now. Surprise package team, Mark. Who has been yours this season so far? Um, like I say, there's a few candidates. You know, Leicester have done really really well. Um, obviously they had a good start to the season last year. They were up for a brief time challenging for the title in some quarters. Um. You know, Southampton have done really well. And when you consider you now this time last year, they got battered 9-0 by Leicester. You know, they've done remarkably well with Hassan Hootles there. He's done really well. But for me, you've got to look at Villa. Um, you know, back to before lockdown, they were written off as basically going down, getting relegated. Um, and they didn't even do that well after at the start, in Project Restart either. But, you know, credit to Villa, credit to Dean Smith and his players. You know, they got a run of results together. Um, and they managed to stay up. And then what they've done since then is invested wisely. Um, some of the players they brought in, um, you know, the goalkeeper, I think it's the main one, uh, Martinez from Arsenal, I've rated him really, really highly, arguably higher than Leno, but they've kept at Arsenal. Um, so th- some of the recruitment they've done has been fantastic. Obviously, they've got like Greal issues a performer for them. You know, um, Mings at centre back is a very good player. Then you've got. Um, uh, McGinn's another one, but yeah, they just they just seem like a team that I mean, a bit like Leicester when they won the title, you just expect them to fall away, but at the moment they're not. I mean, we're only eight games in, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say they're stopped challenging the title by any stretch, but you know, you won't be surprised given that this season is as top to turvy as it has been for them to, well, certainly be in the top half and maybe even the top six if they keep keep at it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, the standout was, was obvious, Joel. I mean, Leicester, though, know, they were so poor when football returned. They were so bad. I watched them in so in a, quite a few games, actually, and, you know, the desire had gone out of them. The shape was all over the place. They didn't look like they could turn the season around that quickly, to be honest, from the end of last season and the start of this. You thought they needed a lot more work, but... It'd be mine, I'll be honest with you, because I didn't think they could get back to the levels that they had at the start of last season. What would you, uh, who would you go for in, in terms of a surprise package? I mean, I agree with both of those. I think the other thing about Leicester, which probably doesn't get spoken about enough, really, is that the players they've lost, um, both the transfers and injuries, um, losing Chilwell was a huge thing to Chelsea. Um, and uh, Ricardo Pereira has, as well, who I probably last season would put only behind Trent, really, is probably the next best right back in the league. And they've had to do without him. Um, Vardy's been kind of, I think he's had a couple of injury problems as well. So I've been impressed. It wasn't just even after they, after football came back, they were kind of, their downturn really started at the kind of earlier, um, at the turn of the year. And they've, yeah, they've done well to steer that round and 
I'm, not, I'm still not convinced that they're actually finishing the top four, but in terms of how they started, definitely. And not much more to add on Villa, really. I think they've been incredibly impressive. No, I don't think anyone could have seen them winning five out of their first seven, um, including Liverpool and Arsenal. Um, little shout to West Ham, who loyal listeners will know I, I picked as my uh, surprise package of the season back in our, our pre-season predictions show. I think they're not particularly high up the table at the moment, but the kind of the fixtures they've had um, and the way they've, they've been playing, um, getting points off the likes of Spurs and City and beating Leicester away um, has been quietly quite impressive. Um, I also have a kind of opposite of a surprise um, team. I think a team that a lot of people thought would do well, um, but I'm not that surprised I'm not doing very well as Arsenal. Um, I've been a little bit of an Arteta sceptic for a while, but I just think for a team who's got that amount of uh, attacking resources and the money they've spent and everything, it almost looks like they're going backwards or at least they've stagnated. I think they're on a run now. They haven't scored a single goal from open play in four matches, um, which is, is staggering really when you look at the players they've got. You've got players like Nicolas Pepe, who not that long ago, Liverpool fans were screaming for and could barely get on the pitch of them. Aubameyang, who signed a, a huge contract at the start of the season and has barely been scoring at all. Um, is kind of playing almost as a left midfielder, which is baffling when you watch them. And I just think they're so uninspiring to watch. Um, they don't create chances. They don't take shots. They're, they're weirdly defensive at home, as you saw in the Villa game. They just sort of sit back and let games happen to them. So, yeah, one to keep an eye on, but I'm I'm not overly shocked that they're, they're struggling a bit more. What about surprise player? Who would you go for? Um, I think I'll go with Grealish. Not surprising in terms of his quality. I think, you, you know, previously from what you've seen, he's been good, but it's more of a consistency and the level that he's reached, I think. He's taken a leap from a player who could be good sort of two in every five games or two in every four games. And now he's kind of hitting those levels week in, week out, um, almost to the point where I think he could, you could pretty much say he'd walk into every team of the league, bar possibly Liverpool and City. Um, I think he honestly is that good. And I, I wouldn't be that surprised if he's sort of in the conversation around player of the year um, come sort of May time, I think. End product, all-round influence in general. His, his defensive work rate as well, I think, gets overlooked against us. He was kind of playing almost as a, a hybrid left-back, left-winger at times. Um, yeah, I love watching him as well, so he'd be my pick. Who's impressed you, Mark? Um, I'd say it's a tough one. I mean, Grealish is obviously a good shell, but I mean, the thing with him is he obviously before had a reputation of being in the Premier League. You know, most people knew who he was, but for me, I think Patrick Bamford at Leeds um, has certainly surprised me. Um, you know, I've watched a lot of championship football over the years and, you know, at Leeds, it just, even though Leeds always ran away with the league last year, it just seemed like it's not Joel, quite you just, sorry, sorry, Mark, you just seen the Joe Gomez news? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you did. Sorry, Joe Gomez. Should, just end, should just end the pod there and have, <laughs> oh my God, Joe Gomez got injured on in international duty. Joe Gomez is injured. Um, oh, wow. So, sorry to interrupt you, Mark, but yeah, just seen Joel's... <laughs> Joe's face collapsed and uh, I, I guessed he just looked on Twitter. I tried to keep a straight face for the last two minutes, but yeah, oh, it's God. not looking good for uh, for Joe Gomez. Um, oh, we'll do a bit fun. on it in a minute. Go on, Mark, finish your, finish your points and then we'll do a bit on it. Uh, I'm feeling a bit brokenhearted, to be honest, mate. I don't know if I can carry on. Um, yeah, I'll try and gather myself. Yeah, Bamford has been very, very impressive. You know, he scored a hat-trick. Um, I think it was against Villa in the league. You know, he scored against Liverpool. He looked just looks like he can't give the defence a moment's rest, which is, if you ask most defenders, like worst kind of strikers, they're the ones who don't give you a moment's peace. Um, 
yeah, scoring seven goals already this season. That's very, very impressive for a, a newly promoted club. Um, so, yeah, it's certainly impressive. Um, but, yeah, struggling to contain myself at the Joe Gomez news, if I'm being honest with you now. OK. Um, it doesn't sound good, to be honest, from three or four different people who are reporting on it. Um, I think the Athletic used the words facing spell on the sidelines. Um, it doesn't sound like it's a knock, to be honest. So we know nothing other than during this podcast that's broke that Joe Gomez is injured. I mean, Joel, what what do we do here with, with Liverpool at centre-back now? Because we have probably now our most reliable defender as a centre-half now taking out the game, taking out the equation. And we've got Joel Matip, who has been streaky, let's just say that, since you know the start of last season. Um, and then we're scratching into midfielders and, and inexperienced players. I mean, it's a, it's it's an absolute nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, it's a disaster. <laughs> there's no there's no sugarcoating it. I don't I don't know what more to say than that at this point. Um, it doesn't sound good as, as well. The wording that people are using it doesn't sound like just a few weeks that he'll be back after international break. It sounds. I, I, we can't confirm anything because we don't know the severity of it yet, but it, it doesn't sound like a, a minor one, um, put it that way. And as we know with Joel Matip, he, he can't really play more than once a week, it seems like. And even then, he's picking up all kinds of knocks that, that become more serious than that. So um, Fabinho, we're hoping, is back, hopefully not too long after this break with the hamstring injury, um, which didn't sound overly serious, but... Yeah, um, all I can say is that Nat Phillips and uh, Reese Williams better be sort of working hard at Melwood over this break because we're going to need them over these next few months. There's no doubt about that. And I think the only kind of, I'm trying to c- console myself here and all of us is that the January window isn't that far away. I know Liverpool have got a lot of games between now and then because of how hectic the schedule is, but they just need to find a way to, to drag themselves through until then. And I think this, if the decision wasn't already made uh, with a Van Dyke injury, this makes it absolutely crystal clear that need to go out and spend and not just bring in a cover centre back, but one who's who's going to be a starter for for kind of years to come because I think that was probably going to be needed next summer anyway. Um, but purely to kind of keep this season on track, if Liverpool can get to that point in a reasonable position in the league and they're probably already through the Champions League group stage, um, they're going to have to invest in January because I, I, I don't remember a situation ever like this where kind of every single player in that position has been struck down at once. It's, I mean, I mean, the kicker mark is that it's with England as well. You know, you, you can't sugar, you can't wrap players up in cotton wool. As well, with England, with him. Yeah. You can't wrap players up in cotton wool, but, you know, you just, we question the, the validity of these international breaks at the best times. And, and now that this has happened, you're just wondering what is the absolute point in England at all? Like, what, why are we bothering with this? Uh, yeah, um, I definitely echo that. Um, like I said, the only thing I can say at this moment in time is, you know, I hope the guys are the, who deal with transfers are like getting a move on right now. Um, if they weren't already, um, I'll say I think in terms of between now and January, you know, we've got to hope for the best that you no know, Fabinho and um, Matip try and stay fit. But that's you know, you've got three Champions League games, you've got what is it, six or seven league games, How maybe more, I'm not sure how many they've got between now and the new year. Um, then you've got the FA Cup when that starts again in January. Um, so, 
yeah, it does seem so daunting when you look at it that way. The only a bit of uh, thing you can console yourself is with is when Reese Williams and Nat Phillips have stepped in. You know they've done okay, but they have been, with all due respect, in one-off games. And um, Williams, to be fair, has played a couple more. But you know Phillips was a one-off game against West Ham. Um, judging more when he's had you know three or four games back to back or over the course of a month or something like that to see how good he really can be in this team. Yeah, like I say, there's no other way of looking at it otherwise just it's just a real kicking the teeth to when you look to the injuries that Liverpool have had. You combine that with Trent Alexander Arnold getting injured um at the weekend, you know, I mean that threw my plan out of the window because my plan was to put Gomez at right back, Fabinho and Matip at centre back. Um so that plan's gone out of the window right away. Um you know me and Joel were just yeah, I don't know what to say, to be honest. Um yeah. Like I say, it's a real kicking teeth when it happens with England. Um, what are these games? What are the Nations League games? Euro qualifiers, I'm not sure what even they are. But, you know, it's just, it's just, it hurts more. It hurts more when it's out with England than when it's at, when it's with Liverpool. It just hurts more for whatever reason, but it just does. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the, some of the word now, Joe, going around is serious. So, again, you know, we're going to have to prepare for a stint. A long spell without your Gomez teams. So, yeah, I think I think everything we've, we've said is is what can be said at the moment. You know, Liverpool have to get to January, but they also have to sort of realise that there's probably going to be a premium on every centre back now that they go for two yeah. because because everyone knows they're going to be absolutely desperate for one. Um, yeah, I, I, look, I think I think it's worth probably just pondering a little bit more. Really, you know, is there any sort of players in the squad who? You can, can do a job there. I mean, we're going to run out of midfielders soon. There's, there's obviously when Alden who's played there before, Henderson's played there before. They, we didn't get to that previously, but could you ever envisage a world in which there's a, a Fabino, Genie when Alden centre back pair in Liverpool? I can't believe we're having this conversation, honestly. Um, it, it might have to be the case. To, to be honest, my. My initial thought is that I'd rather just see the centre backs who have played a couple of games get a chance if if that's what needs to happen. So that's either that's Williams or Phillips um, alongside hopefully Fabinho. Um, I'd rather not play two midfielders there because then it just yeah, starts to feel feel so makeshift, especially if you haven't got your first choice right back as well. Um, the, the only other point I would make in in kind of regards with that is. They've got a lot of midfielders hopefully coming back um, as well. So Cater's mm. obviously been missing in recent weeks. Tiago, it seems like he's going to be back after this break. Fabinho, hopefully as well. Um, I've written a piece today, which I think is coming out this afternoon on Oxlade Chamberlain, who just seems to have been completely forgotten because he hasn't been available all season. But in a way, midfield sort of solves you a lot of problems here because then you can afford to drop Fabinho back and, and not lose too much. Um but yeah, with regards to playing the likes of Henderson when out and back there, I wouldn't mind doing that alongside one of the proper centre backs. But when yeah, when you get to a point where you're playing two midfielders, a centre back, and possibly even a midfielder at right back, um, yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. But I think, as I said, Williams and Phillips are going to feature a heck of a lot more than any of us anticipated. So, or even they would have anticipated. So, yeah, just got to go with it and see see what happens. Matt, do you think this is any any further a case of Liverpool's sort of fixture and scheduling? I've just seen a tweet there from David Lynch who says Joe Gomez is third on the list of minutes played for Liverpool this season with 1,010. And he says the workload's putting players at risk. I mean, 
it's got to be okay. I get that the centre half angle, but you know, if there's going to be an explanation, I'm sure that's going to be there. Front and centre. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, uh, but yeah, I certainly think that's a point. Um, I think you know. Oli on Solskjaer made the point as well in after the weekend, you know, Luke Shaw got an injury, a hamstring injury, and, you know, the players are playing. It's not so much the amount of games, it's just they're so, they come so thick and fast and it's going to be even worse once this international break um, comes up, uh, fin- when it finishes, you know, they've got three more Champions League games, have many league games to play. You now, let's just thank, thank our lucky stars that they're not in the League Cup because that would be an extra game. I think we'll probably we'll be seeing a similar thing to when they played Villa in the in the um quarterfinals last year where it was literally just the only 23s playing i mean you know i'm not gonna say it's silly the amount of games because you know i think the game, number of games that they've got they've got to get them in at some point um but the fact that they're still they're still playing international football which means that the fixture uh, congestion is still carrying on um no i mean i'm not sure how many of these international games are actually qualifiers i think scotland obviously got um, a playoff final to get into the euros um, so games like that obviously are important, but if it's like friendlies, you know, like you said earlier, what's the point? Um, yeah, it's just the workload on some of these play- on these players, especially when you consider, you know, the circumstances of the world. You know, they've got a pandemic going on. Um, you know, it just makes you think, what's the point of playing all these football matches at times? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what else to say about that, to be honest. I've got a bit of a mad shout, which, <laughs> which may just be crazy, but I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Um, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. So Andy Robertson has played centre-back for Scotland before, I think, in a back three, not necessarily in a back four. Um, but if you, we are, I mean, we are scraping the barrel. These are emergency times. So I'm wondering if possibly you see him play as a left-sided centre-back because you have Simicast now, so you have actually got a proper left-back who you could play. And you probably trust Robert Robertson's kind of defensive ability. Uh, well, he's got he's got the experience on on most people in the squad. So I'm wondering if that's a kind of a real makeshift solution, um, whether that involves a change of shape or something. But he, he has played something similar before, and for a fullback, he's he's not bad in the air, and he's obviously good on the ball. So yeah, <laughs> make a bit. I mean, yeah, because of the fence for Leicester. Um... Three at the back, Dan. Three at the back. No, I think he won't do it. I don't think he'll do it. I think it'll be Gomez. <laughs> it won't be Gomez. Probably the slip. <laughs> I think it'll be Fabinho, Joel Matip, if they're both fit. Um, probably now Milner, right back, and Robertson, left back, if we can get him on the pitch. I think that's, in my opinion, that's the best we can hope for in a back four um, for that game. And I'd, I'd take that now if you'd offer me it, to be honest with you. Um, any advancements on that? I certainly agree. Uh, yeah, go on, Joel. Yeah, I mean, the Fabinho injury is the question mark because Klopp was pretty vague about it. It didn't sound hugely serious, but I wouldn't necessarily bank on him being back for Leicester 100%. I need to get him to the same physio that Alisson went to for his shoulder issue when he got back three weeks earlier than he should have done. Um, if, if Fabinho is not fit for that one, I think you're right, probably... You're going to need experience in that back four, whatever it is. So I think that even though he's not ideal in terms of profile and stuff, Milner probably is the Trent understudy for this game. And you've got Robertson, hopefully Matip, if he doesn't pick up some kind of ridiculous knock in training over the break. And then um, I think you probably got to go with Reese Williams or Phillips alongside him. On that. Mark, any 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 further suggestions? Um, 
you know, I like what Joel said about the um, Robertson angle. You know, he played obviously at Scotland, um, left side of a three. Um, you know, at that point, then that just means a complete change in tactics, approach, per- personnel, everything. It's not ideal, but you know, these are desperate times at the moment. We're living in, you know, you know Van Dyke injured, Fabinho, um, a doubt. We've got, well, we don't know with him. Gomez now out, Trent out. You know, it just it just seems unbelievable that all these injuries are happening in the same position at the same time. Um, you know, William got buy back towards on uh, Dejan Lovren getting back in. Well, well, I won't say no at this point moment in time. Uh, let's put that <laughs> way. But, um, yeah, um, I just don't. I don't know what. I mean, if if this is how we're reacting, imagine what Klopp and his team are thinking right now. Um, you know, we know we all know his views on. <laughs> You know, the international football, international breaks, the amount of miles these players have to cover, the amount of games they have to do. So, yeah, he'll be tearing his hair out, I'm sure, right now, or upon hearing the news, just as we are, if not worse. So, yeah, there's not much more to say other than just, no, just, no. It's just complete frustration. Yeah, I think we're going to leave it there because obviously that's just dropped my podcast and changed the whole dynamic of what we were going to write about. So, um, Huge thanks to Joel, huge thanks to Mark. Um, We'll be back next week. We'll hopefully have a bit more clarity on this injury and we'll have a bit more of an idea of how Liverpool are going to tackle it. Um, But for now, obviously, we'll have loads of Joe Gomez-related stuff on Liverpool.com as well as as everything else going into. It's very frustrating now. International break. We'll, uh, We'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.